Well, I was going to talk to you today about his prized possession. Yes. His prized possession. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in case you didn't get the memo, that's me and that's you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So, uh, we are his prized possession. And <clears throat> there are many, many, many things in the Bible that give evidence to that. And uh, I was thinking about it um, today and, and thinking about how God is, we're always on his mind. And he's always thinking about us, always speaking to us, planning good things for us, making sure we have full assurance of his great love for us. And uh, it's it's just a, a kind of an overwhelming thing when you think about it, that the God of the universe loves us uh, to live with us, dwell with us, share his life with us, give us everything. Um, he is always there to comfort us and encourage us and, and uh, all of the things that God has planned just for me and for you. Uh, it gives me, um, I guess, some some disappointment to see that people can be in a church or be in the Word, study the Word and miss that. You know, you can, you know, religion's a tricky thing. It'll make you miss the fact that we're precious to God and how much he loves us. And I think if, if people can get focused on what's important, what's, what's important here, um, having faith to move mountains Paul said is nothing having all gifts is nothing if you don't have love and if you're not aware of God's love it can be coming toward you and you miss it every time and uh, you know the Pharisees missed it they studied the word continually and they never got it and so I think it's something that that needs to be um, thought about need to talk about it more and and let dwell on it and and go really go into understanding all that God has done for us I think it'll cause us to have greater appreciation for God will be less concerned about us and about people and what they think and what they say and you know getting all that involved in that <clears throat> that kind of a world but we can live in a world with God and and be very, very uh, productive in this life. We can be an asset everywhere we go. We can be relatable to people. We can be all of the things that we think are so important to be. But we'll have to get a good foundation in the love of God. And so um, I was thinking about it and, and thinking about how... The things of this life, Jesus always downplayed the importance of them. You know, when you look at the word, I mean, I realize there are benefits to our covenant with God. That's, you know, the fact that the Jewish people are not living in a New Testament covenant, they traditionally, they have an understanding of God's desire to bless them with material things. Come on now. Um, they indoctrinate their children with them from when they're very small. They encourage them. They teach them to reach for higher things. All that kind of stuff. So that's not so hard to grasp sometimes. It's not the hardest thing in the world to grasp. But I think what causes people to turn away from God is this this uh, disconnect between how God feels about them and how they are living their lives here. 
there's something there's something that has to be done to bring that together because if we are living a life that gets difficult after a while somehow it's very easy to reach for God doesn't love me God doesn't care for me because it's so easy at hand because we've never received that he loves us see once you receive that and that's what you know and that's what you believe tribulation is nothing the cares of this life are nothing take no thought is is hey take no thought cool because you're taking care of it you understand and so when those things happen we have to have something to grab onto so that we'll continue with God and we won't give up and we won't think that he doesn't love us and we won't get in this attitude of of well he loves me but he didn't give me something you know that kind of thing uh, we can avoid that kind of of spiritual shipwreck if we'll keep uppermost in our minds how much he really really loves us so in exodus 20 verse 5 we'll start there <clears throat> He says, you shall not bow down yourself to other gods or serve them. Talking about graven images and so forth. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Not only is he a jealous God, but he's a vengeful God. He'll take vengeance on his enemies. He says, I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So in other words, God takes it very seriously that people are serving other gods and giving other gods what's due him. And he sets out to prove that he is God through his vengeance and through his jealousy. In Exodus 34 and verse 4. <clears throat> so you'll know that wasn't a one out of the blue scripture. He says that his name is jealous. His name is jealous. Hmm? His name, I'm sorry, 14, 34, 14. <clears throat> for thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is just what he says his name is. <laughs> He's a jealous God. That's why they call him jealous. Huh? He's jealous, and Nahum uh, one two says he's a god of vengeance. He gets vengeance on his enemies. So when you think about it, we being born in sin and shaped in iniquity, we we are born as enemies of God. And there are so many different other gods to serve. There are so many different other religions to get involved in. And so God is vengeful and jealous when people go off and serve those other gods. But what he does in his jealousy is he be begins to pursue us to win us over. His jealousy and his vengeance pursues causes him to pursue us to win us over so it's not just a hateful God that wants to get even with everybody but in his vengeance when he reveals himself then we get a glimpse of who he really is and then he has legal precedence to go and pursue us because he's revealed himself to us a revelation of God commits God to give us full disclosure 
you've had one glimpse of the glory of God and then he's committed to reveal more to us not to leave us confounded and puzzled so he he understand what I'm saying that's why sometimes your worst enemy can become the biggest uh, uh, evangelist because once God he says he'll fight those who fight us that's how some people get saved fighting Christians they get all entangled in this God that you know that we we are loving and they can't understand what we see and we think we better than they are and they're going to set us straight and all this kind of stuff and then it winds up God has to has to reveal himself to them as God you know and they bump into God and that one revelation then commits him to further reveal himself you see it even with the the uh, evil kings in the bible you know uh nebuchadnezzar having uh you know uh been ungodly and and tried to kill god's people so forth and so on wound up having god revealed to him you know in the fiery furnace he said it looks like the son of god and so that revelation further and he finally changed his decree and said i have met the one true and living god but he met him through god's vengeance getting even with him for what he was doing to his people so even God's jealousy and vengeance is loving and merciful when you think about it. the end result of it is God is love and so he is very very jealous over his creation his jealousy uh, causes him to pursue us because we've been stolen from him we have been stolen from God he pursues us all the way to the cross. He pursues us to his own death. That's how much he loves us and how much he is jealous for us. We were taken captive by Satan through deception. And God being a faithful creator decided he was going to pursue us and get us back. In fact, he decided that as, in, as soon as he revealed that to Adam and Eve, as soon as they fell. But the decision was made before the foundation of the earth. You see what I'm saying? So God predecides everything. It's not a, a shock to him what people do. You think it's shocking to God that that so many of his ministers are, are you know not really speaking up for him because they think they have something to lose if they tell the truth. You got me? And so he's really putting them to the test. Are they as jealous for him as he is for them? You got me? And so his his jealousy and his zeal to get us back. The word for jealous also means zealous. And that means to have a passion, a fervor, and a burning desire for something. So, you know, you see it in, in uh, 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 stalkers. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a perverted form of it. But it's the same emotion. It is. It's just in a carnal form. Come on now. You... The don't not don't go dopey on me. Y'all grow up. It's, oh, what she means stalking. He stalked you. You weren't really looking for God. You were looking for somebody to pay your bills or get you out of trouble or get you off dope or get you on something that was better than what you had. And he had been there pursuing you all the time so that when you looked around you would find him and not the same old, same old. 
Where do you think stalkers get that from? Hmm? <laughs> they copy the devil copies everything off God. Huh? But he pursued us to his death and ours as well. Amen. When we committed to him, we died to everything that was not like him. That's the we are to, to we are to give in kind what we've been given. He died for us, we die to him. You got me? We die to the life that we live for him. And so when we pick up his life, then it's fulfilled. His zeal is fulfilled. He's 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 with passion given everything that he has for us as a ransom for our souls. And so he pursues us to the cross. John three sixteen explains that he so loved us. God the Father so loved us. So here it ties in the relationship of the Father to the Son. The Father is the lawgiver. The Son has to be obedient to the Father and pay the ransom for the souls of many. And so the, the Son volunteers, willfully goes to give his life and he pursues us all the way to the cross. So if we were taken captive by the enemy through deception, through deception, God already had decided to win us back. He was so jealous in the garden as he, he uh, confronts Adam and Eve. But immediately he sets forth a plan of redemption. In Genesis 3.15 you see God speaking to them <coughs> and telling them the consequences of their actions. Sin is breaking the law of God. So whenever the law is broken. There is a penalty extracted. He says. He curses the ground. The man is going to. Uh, uh, work with the dust in his face. The woman will be multiplied. In childbearing. So a lot more children are born. Than God ever intended to be born. Why? Because they die so quickly. You got me? And so. He multiplies her conception and her sorrow in childbearing. But he will put enmity or, or uh, uh, strife between the serpent and the woman. And between the serpent seed and her seed. And it will bruise his head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is John 3.16. That Jesus will come forth and wreak vengeance on the devil. So not only did he win us back in one action, he won us back and he got vengeance on the devil as well. Amen. And so it, part of what drove him to the cross was this jealousy and this zeal. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And as he endured, he was rewarded afterwards after completion of his passion and his giving his life for us. The work on the cross is what we call it. Then he was uh, highly exalted. Given a name above every name. And so as, as he completed this zealous pursuit of us. He was exalted in that. So he got vengeance on the enemy on our behalf. And then he was able to endow us and empower us with the same power over the enemy. It's a blessing. Amen. It's a blessing. So part of his 
I guess you would say wedding gift to us was the keys to the kingdom of God whatever we buy he gave us authority over all the works of the devil when you, when a, a man and a woman get married they both have keys to the house now if you got a marriage where the brother ain't gonna give you no key it's something wrong oh boy let me open this blind I'm not going to even go there (laughs) he got me we got so many kinds of relationships out here it's pathetic you know the way people live and uh, you know and all of this well I want you to move in but don't move everything in you know what I'm saying and we don't have no relationship like that in God's kingdom you got me I don't care what the preachers of LA say and what they do we don't have any kind of relationships like that in God's kingdom but Jesus exalts us with himself you got me we get elevated right with him amen because we are in Christ and he begins to honor us the one thing that God wants to do is to build our esteem in in him you got me he at marriage the Bible says is honorable and so the first thing he brings to the table is honor he elevates us he gets us to the place where we have dignity again where we don't feel like we got to beg for everything or we we're not worthy and all that stuff the first thing the life of God puts in you is an elevation you get an instant promotion from darkness to light from hell to heaven from from begging to expecting you know without a lot of of of, of groveling and feeling unworthy and trying to prove to somebody to do something for you uh the first thing you're given is that dignity and that honor is given back to us that we had before the enemy stole it away from us then the lord begins to pursue us in other ways after we're saved and after we belong to him the pursuit continues isn't that wonderful you know people in the natural when they get married whoo i'm glad i got my man you know and (laughs) start relaxing and acting all crazy looking all funny and all that kind of stuff but but you know when when uh, you know marriage should enhance both people it it should really uh bring dignity to both individuals you know you don't marry somebody uh because you think you can can get them to eat out of the palm of your hand you know you get your fingers bit off some of these brothers i know i don't want to even go there with that but you understand what i'm saying you you do it in an honorable fashion to honor that person and they honor you you bring uh completion to their life a sense of of uh you know settling that that you're you're not uh looking for anything anymore you're not at your wits end because of your age and all this stupid stuff there's a sense that you have found that person and that you can settle into being who you really are supposed to be you know it should be an enhancement a marriage should lift you up not take you down you go higher you don't go lower when you marry somebody you you know that's just no good if if between the two of you you can't figure out how to uh 
get property, pay bills, advance in life. Their career goes forward. Your career goes forward. You have your children. You get them, you know, have plans for them to be top-notch kids and invest in that. If, if you don't elevate each other, you know, there's, there's something wrong there. There's something really wrong. Uh, there's either a lack of respect, lack of trust. Something's off. It's not, it's not what God intended. And so you really can't imagine the depth of the love of God looking at natural situations. I mean, you can get some aspects, like you might see a couple over here that's got that right, one over here that's got that right, but no couple has it all together the way marriage is still referred to in the Word of God as a mystery. There's something there that is is similar to our relationship with with Christ, but it's hidden and it's veiled in darkness and it's getting even darker because the marriages you have on earth are so jacked up. You got me? Now you got same sex people trying to get married and just to further muddy the water and dishonor marriage in a great way. And so when, when Jesus comes to us, he elevates us. Remember yesterday when we talked about Peter getting out of jail, the first thing the angel told him was rise up quickly, get up. And when you get up, the chains fall off. You know, you can't get chains off of you still in the world and sitting down in the mire of life. You've got to rise up to where God pulls you so that you can be elevated into his level, into his life. You know, when uh, when I first started seeing married women not taking the husband's last name and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you got some man's last name. That ain't your name. That's your daddy's name. That was his daddy's name. That's somebody's daddy name. And so I'm thinking, well, what's this about? You know, it's it's anything to put a rift between what God wants to do with people in marriage. And and the enemy comes in there to, to de- detract from it, to take away from it, to uh, demean it, to drag it down, to make it dishonorable. And so Jesus comes to elevate us back to the place where the Father wants us because he loves us. We have a rightful place in his kingdom. And Jesus came to position us where he in, intended for us to be. So he, he is a faithful creator and he makes a righteous pursuit of us. He brings us back to righteousness. The fact that he takes us away from the devil means that we never belong to Satan anyway. You know, there's no such thing as you can't get free of the devil's power. I don't care how long it takes you, you can get free. Because Jesus has already paid for you to be free. You know, many times we're trying to do other things, but we really need to. Do you remember back in the day when you were first saved and everything you did you thought was wrong? So when you had a bad thought, you got in the word and got yourself straightened out. You know, we need to go back to the old ways every day. You know, there's always something that we can get straightened out within ourselves. And if it if it's straight already, keep it straight. You got me? And so these are the ways of God where you, 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 the problems you had, you knew the word had an answer. And you stayed in that until you got free. You didn't, you didn't dare want the devil to hang on to you uh, in any way. So, so we belong to God now. He refused to leave us fatherless. 
Because if you think Satan's a, a father, I got news for you. It's just like he one of them deadbeat dads. He comes back when he wants to take something from you. Huh? It's the truth. You know, you, you see these things in life. You see these children whose dads are drug addicts and they don't live with a family. But when they show up, everybody's got to put their stuff somewhere. They got to hide what, what's valuable in the house because they know daddy's coming back to look for some money for drugs. So that's the kind of daddy Satan is. Which means you're no more than an orphan. You know, he, you had a donor. You got me? That's how you got here pretty much because these fathers are not fathers because the devil has them captive. You know, I'm sure many times they would love to stay and take care of and love families, but the devil's got them bound, you know, got them convinced they can't do anything except feed that habit all the time. And so when God pursues us, he pursues us to bring us back to right standing, to bring us to elevate us, bring us back to our inheritance, what he created us to be. There's a life that he created us to live and he brings us back to understanding what that life is all about. I like the fact that, that Jesus continually blows our minds with the things that he has for us. You know, the Bible says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And, you know, ear, I can, mind can't conceive. And it's not entered into the hearts of man the things that your heart couldn't hold at. You got me? You, you need a transplant, man. We all do before we can handle these things in God. And so when, when, when he comes to us, he makes everything new. He brings a newness about. And, and, and to me, that's the essence of being a bride. He starts opening up your, your dowry chest and, and showing you the things that he has pre- prepared for you. Natural life can't compare to any of this stuff. It just can't. I think God is so jealous. You know, I'll see sometimes, uh, you know, young women are, you know, looking for husbands and can't find them. I said, well, why don't you let God love you first? I think if you'd accept the love of God and be content there and get and max out on that, pretty soon that brother show up somewhere and you say, are you serious, God? Is this really? Are you sure? He's already clashing with my nail polish. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. Because we're so spoiled in the love of God. See? You know, there's there's something there that's real, folks. I think sometimes when God prepares people for marriage, he has to pull back some of the, you know, what he's given them. That sense of contentment and, and, and solidness and open their hearts up to let somebody else come in. You got me? But stay full of God until that happens you know don't go looking for somebody you might find something <laughs> then you'd be in trouble right. see the thinking about it and looking to think of what wishing it'll happen is far different from the living oops excuse me I spilled my water <laughs> I squeezed my water bottle <laughs> whoops whoopsie <laughs> anywho anywho I digressed <laughs> but he pursues us with a jealousy and a zeal all the time running after us drawing us to him in one way or the other and so 
<clears throat> he refuses to leave us fatherless. Refuse to live us, leave us in sin, which is deteriorating our lives. And not living the life he created us to live. So, <clears throat> Whenever we are distracted from him, taken from him, he starts doing things to get our attention again. That's just how jealous he is for our presence and for our affections. So that's what jealous love does. It pursues, overtakes, and recovers everything. So you are totally redeemed from all the power of darkness. There's not anything about you that the devil can lay claim to. I don't care about, you know, generational curses that was true under the law, but you are redeemed. You gotta you gotta start renewing your mind to the fact. Now these these spirits might try and pursue you and they might even have a voice in your head somewhere but you don't have to obey that because you know get yourself renewed in your mind transform yourself through the renewing of your mind let that transformation take place so that Jesus can have all of you he can have access to all of you <clears throat> so all of creation is is really reclaimed in our redemption the the manifestation of the sons of God has an effect on all of creation you see, usually during, if you look at the history of revivals, what we call revivals or moves of God in the earth, there are usually areas, I mean, there are times of high levels of creativity and wealth in the natural realm. It's just an automatic thing. It's not like you got to do some kind of special sowing and special prayer. Because when God comes through and manifests, he brings blessings across the board in different areas. All of the things that, that Detroit was well known for. You know, automobiles and all that creativity and, and continual creativity. Sustained creativity. All of that stuff was due to God's presence and favor with people. These things start to come forth as the gospel is preached. Chains come off of people. Chains come off their minds. They have time to spend with God. And, and they spend that time with God in pursuits of, of dreams and visions and things that God gives them. So this brings it across the board. He recovers everything. So creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's always calling to us. Creation begins to speak to us that we need to make improvements here and there. And that's a sign that we need to spend more time uh, with God in the pursuit of God as he pursues us. So God pursues us in covenant relationship. You see that first shedding of blood in Genesis chapter 3. Where God took uh, 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 coats of skins of animals that he had slain when Adam and Eve uh, sinned. And he covered them with that. And that was his, his uh, symbol to them that there would have to be shedding of blood whenever man would meet with him. See, and that became what was necessary. A sacrifice was always brought to the altar and blood was shed. You notice that with Cain and Abel. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted because there was no atonement for his sin. So his sin began to pile up, pile up, pile up, pile up, and pile up until after a while he began to envy his brother and actually murdered his brother because there was no atonement made for his sin. And so God always deals with us in covenant. That that's that in and he deals with us legally. 
So God's pursuit of us is a lawful pursuit. It can't be a pursuit that's just emotional on his part or just uh, a, you know, a kind of a, an abrupt thing on his part. It, we have to be pursued legally according to the law. So in, the, in Genesis chapter 3 he makes an oath and a promise that he will destroy the works of the devil and pay the price for our redemption. There will come a seed from the woman who will pay the final price for the redemption of all mankind. So really the whole Bible is a story of this jealous God pursuing humanity, pursuing lost humanity, dark humanity, because we actually belong to him. The devil's never created nothing. He's just a thief and a liar. He'll steal and tell you he didn't steal nothing. And have the jelly on his hands and everything else, have the smoking gun and the bloody glove, the whole nine yards. He deceives people. How do you think he gets so many people on drugs? How do you think he tries to perpetuate that system by having uh, children born out of wedlock with no protection, no family, no uh, sense of belonging or security so they can grow up and they can commit crimes and he can perpetuate this over and over again. The devil gets delight out of that. He wants to have everything that God has. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. He said, I will exalt my throne above his. So he wanted the possessions of heaven that God had. He was a minister, but that wasn't enough. You got me? He was at the highest level an angel could be. He was an archangel. He's the highest level. He was commanding a third of the angels in heaven, but that was not enough. Iniquity makes the best that the world and heaven has to offer not enough for people. That's how they get into trouble. And so when the, the best God has to offer is not enough, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're working for God and he's given you your ministry. He's given you uh, people that support you and enjoy your teaching get, and get grow out of your ministry. And you sit around bored wondering what else is out there. You're in trouble. Because the devil's already in there and he's going to show you something that's out there. He's got it all set up for you already. And so we have to learn how to have that contentment with God. But still he pursues us. You know, every time you get distracted and your mind wanders, you know, sometimes at the end of the thought, God shows up and tells you something or draws your attention back to him. So he's in constant pursuit of us. He must pursue us legally. In Exodus 20 and verse 17, you see what we commonly refer to as the Ten Commandments. This is the basic law of God toward man. So if God's going to pursue us legally, he must obey his own law that's given to us in the pursuit of us. And so that's what's kind of delayed the pursuing. When we break the law, the curse falls on us and then we have to live that time out. That time of disobedience to God draws a penalty. And so it's taken a while under the old covenant, taken a while for God to, to continually pursue. But when the pursuit was back on, what did he do? He sent prophets to let people know it's on again. Okay, he, We've been in, at this <clears throat> bondage. The first captivity was really 400 years. 
descendants of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were uh, in bondage in Egypt for 400 years and then God released them from that because his mercy again began to here's the pursuit again you see it comes legally but it comes in mercy and it comes with a zeal and with a vengeance and so what did he do with the ones who who kept them in bondage all of them drowned huh I was thinking about this I said you know God drowned a whole nation of people just because they wouldn't let his people go to church you understand what I'm saying they would not let those people be free to go to church and worship God they couldn't do it where they were God wanted them over here you can't just worship God where you want to now you can feel him and contact him he still loves you but then there's a pursuit of God that he wants to draw you to himself so he can have that time with you to do what he needs to do with you to improve your life you got me and so this is very important to God so you see this this people his people being drawn away drifting off then God pursues them he gets vengeance on their enemies and then he draws them back into worship all they have to do is repent and come back to him and they you know it's back on again wonderful wonderful God a wonderful God you know you don't you don't want to you can't fix this up any other way but the way it is there's no improvement to be made on God's law and his covenant so in Exodus 20 and verse around verse 17 God talks about uh, the the commandments that he gives to man he starts out by telling him that he is the Lord God and, and he won't, you won't not go have any other gods before him it really starts in the first verse of Exodus and he goes down to expand on this the bottom line in his commandments is he wants us to love him and love our neighbor as ourself so there is a vertical and a horizontal focus to the love of God it goes from from him down to us and then he wants it shed out on other people you see that in the new covenant particularly you see that after a person is is born again and and baptized in the holy spirit and empowered by god to be a witness for him then he tells us to freely go into all the world and preach the gospel i'm so zealous for the 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 world to come in that he puts that zeal in us remember when we first got saved we told everybody we preached the gospel to the goldfish I remember standing in my mirror rehearsing what I was going to tell people about Jesus if I went out somewhere and and I knew I was going to be around people I would think about how can I get into a conversation with somebody and what there was a zeal there folks that's not that's not religion that's not I had something to tell them it was important it was important that they not go to hell like I was on my way to hell so he pursues us legally sets about revealing himself to us the first law that was given to Moses to give to the people was a revelation of who God was when you see what he commands us to do we got to do that because that's what he does he don't steal he don't lie he don't want what belongs to us you understand what I say he doesn't kill nobody he has the power to 
but he does it if they're deserving <laughs> you know what it is <laughs> when it says thou shalt not kill it, it means not commit murder it means not kill the just you got me there is a law that takes sin out of the the you know there's some things that there's no 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 uh no mercy for you know and when when a life was taken a life had to be taken in exchange for that you got me only exempt exemption now is through the blood of jesus you got me jesus died even for the murderer Everybody else, there was a de- redemption price for. If you stole somebody's ox or killed somebody's, you pay them some money for that. Everything had a redemption price except murder and adultery. They get stoned to death. So there, but God's redemption goes further than the law. You got me? It even covers the murderer, so that the murderer, the adulterer, can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. He he died for the sin of all mankind. So, the sinful mind cannot see the love of God, especially in in the Old Testament law. That law always seemed like God was mean. It seemed grievous. But there was a glimpse of glory in it because you looked at that law and you knew you violated it, but you tried to do it anyway. See, there was something in your heart that made you want to try and please God, even though you know the odds were stacked against you that you. I remember when I I first read the Ten Commandments, I was thinking, I said, well, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. And then when you got to, to words like uh, adultery, your your parents told you, well, that's not for you anyway. So, oh, okay, I can check that one off. I don't even have to bother with that one. You got me? And so you tried because there was a zeal in you to try and please the Father. God takes that little bitty bit of glory that's in us and he begins to build a pursuit. That little bit, even though we try it and we fail at it, and when you fail at it, you admit you can't do it, and then you think God's mean, and I don't want, I don't want him to find me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> if he finds me, what's he going to do? He's going to be mad at me because I can't do this kind of thing. But even with that, those attempts that we made, our agreement with him in the law, and in knowing what he expects and how he wants us to live and how he can help us to live that little bit of faith in that causes him to pursue us to make that knowledge complete see we we tried to get knowledge of god because but because of the darkness in our sinful minds it came up with the conclusion came, we came up with the wrong conclusion so now god has to pursue us and get us straightened out he's oh no i didn't mean that like that I know you read it like that and you tried to do it like that but I didn't really mean that like that I want to add some mercy to that and some forgiveness to that (laughs) and I give you a second chance and a third chance (laughs) to prove you can't do it but at some point I will empower you to do this law you got me and so then then we see that God is a good God we see that he's gracious when we come to him in forgiveness when we ask him to forgive our sins when we are cleansed and washed 
and made new and made whole we can finally see the Lord the way he really is and so all those years we avoided God because we knew we couldn't keep from lying we couldn't keep from sinning and we didn't know what bearing false witness was but daddy told me that was lying but then sometimes you might have to lie just to get out of trouble in the pitch, you know what I'm saying I don't know how they you know our parents fixed the bible up huh my dad was good at fixing stuff up <laughs> he spoke out of his condition that he was in anyway <clears throat> we find find out in the new covenant that as Jesus has paid the price and paid for everything that his love begins to cover our sins you got me not just cover like the Old Testament but it also annihilates it it it, it takes it totally and we're purged from dead works and now we can serve the living God so the dead work thing that brought us to him is a good thing you got me because we can't it, it anytime there's a stumbling block or a hindrance it's something we're, we're confounded because we walk into the glory of God and it's not all clear to us then that gives God access again to come back and straighten that out for us because he's he's a God will not leave us confounded and so that that just that little bit of of touch of God is enough for him to continue his his jealous pursuit of he his beloved so the fact that we're now enlightened in in Christ you know before we were enlightened by the law and so that enlightenment caused God to pursue to clear up our confusion about him so he has to pursue us to the point that we are totally free Paul said that there was a glory on that old covenant law so much so that Moses face shone when God gave it to him and so there's any time there's a truth about God that comes through I don't care if it condemns the guilty it will always condemn the guilty God has an opportunity to come by and make that right part of what people are doing by soft peddling homosexuality they're taking that permission of God away from pursuing those people to clear up that confusion you got me see the homosexual is upset because he wants what he's doing that's wrong to be right that's where you and I first met the Lord you understand what I'm saying their sin happens to be their sin my sin was a different kind of sin but it was sin anyway and kept me out of the relationship with God but what they're begging the world to do now is take the conviction of God off of them from before their sin you understand me and God will never let that happen I don't care how many things you legalize how many preachers you get to come up and say it's okay how many preachers you get to marry people and start having gay churches it will never take that conviction away you got me so God is working with these individuals until he can come and continue to pursue them and bring full knowledge to them because he wants them saved Amen. he loves them even though they hate his people Amen. and in his vengeful pursuit of his beloved people he also can draw them to him so Jesus has the perfect plan for salvation folks we don't need a bunch of preachers telling us how the gays are going to be one we don't need anybody making it out how the Jews going to be one they're going to be one by Jesus the head of the church he'll get somebody who will obey him 
and somebody who will preach where it needs to be preached and who's to be saved will hear and then the Holy Spirit will begin to work and do the rest of the work so we need to be less uh, less trying to control everything and more trying to just be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit because many times we'll have opportunities where we could could impart a word to people won't do it because preacher so-and-so says we don't do this and we you know you would go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody start with the goldfish get the dog saved dogs are easy to get saved they'll do anything for a treat just take a pepperoni or whatever your treat is bacon bits bacos or whatever they'll confess anything for you you're saved you barked in tongues whatever (laughs) so after the law of Moses is given people realize they can't obey the law and God then sends prophets to release a message these people he raises up sovereignly when the fullness of time comes sometimes it's riding out the years of the curse that that you know the people have to live under a bondage you know you like the devil you like him you like his ways you like Baal you like all that stuff live with it for a season then when it gets too bad then God comes and rescues the remnant people that'll be saved that's what he works with he's working with that in our time there are people that, that started out great in God. Now they're going pursuing all kinds of goofy stuff. You know. Uh, and God will, will ride that time out. And he'll begin to pursue through a remnant people that he can adorn. That love him back. That want to serve him. So in the new covenant. It's response to God's love. That causes us to grow in him. To go forward in him. How do we respond to God when he reveals himself to us? Do we take what he gives us quickly and start to incorporate in our lives and use it and run with it? Just like a a bride would, how she honors her husband. You know, to uh, be obedient to what he says that that she should do to help him to go forward in life. You got me? Uh, These words people are putting a negative connotation on. Because we don't see that as being something that's uh, worth pursuing. But, But the world's ways are not God's ways. See, God's ways are God's ways. The world's ways are not his. And the things that God uses, the terms he uses. You know, God's not asking anybody to do anything. He commands. You need that command in you because the force on the command helps you to move forward in it. You know, if somebody's asking and begging and, you know, acting like you're the boss in the thing, you'll never have the zeal and the, the energy to go forth and pursue and do what God has told you to do. And so these things are very important. It's very important how these things are communicated to us. You know, when I was married, if my husband was just, you know, talking about something or musing about it, I could tell he, you know, wasn't ready to move on something yet. But if he told me, he said, look, I want you to do this, and, you know, he gave me a deadline for it, I'd just hop to it, you know, because I knew. You can tell, but in God, everything God says is commanding. It has the force, because that in that command is the faith, the confidence, the everything you need to obey God is right in his voice when he speaks that thing to you 
You won't get up and do anything for God if, if you don't believe what he says. But when you believe it, you will move on it and you'll accomplish what it is that God has for you to accomplish. That's why I encourage people. I said, don't get your, your ideas about what you want out of life from looking at your neighbor. Now, in fact, there's a law that says that's covetousness. You got me? You don't covet. You don't want what they have. You're supposed to want what God God wants to give you what he has for you. That's part of the jealousy. You know, why would he give you secondhand something that you saw somebody else with when he has something already prepared for you that's good only for you? Many people have had heartache trying to imitate what they see somebody else has. Just because they look like they're happy with it, you can be happy with nothing. You got me? But God has things prepared for us that only are for us. That'll fit our lives perfectly. God will pay for what he has for you. You go out and try to get what your neighbor has, you're not sure God's going to pay for that. You got me? And so we have to be very, very careful not to um, uh, disregard that God has a jealousy and a zeal for the life he wants us to live. There's a certain life and lifestyle that God wants us to live in him and for him. Just like a a husband wants his wife to represent. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) My husband, he was always telling me to do stuff. You know, he says, well, you know, we're going to have a thing at at the job. And and, uh, uh, I was going to ask you to cook some chicken strips. That was their thing back then in the day. Everybody liked chicken strips. And I said them one time, you know, I cooked them. Uh, But this is the thing. You can stay in that kitchen and sweat, but don't come up here looking like you sweated in the kitchen. You understand what I'm saying? He said, don't come bummy. That was his thing. And I said, oh, shut up. I said, well, if I get, if I don't, (laughs) if I don't have enough time to get good clothes on, you come out and get them. I said, because I'm not going to sit up here and shower for your little jokers at work. I'm doing enough cooking for them. You understand what I'm saying? I'm a real person. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, they they got the whole picture there. I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to an audition or am I delivering chicken? I want to work up here with y'all. Right. (laughs) So anywho, but you know, that's 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 a man. You know, when you have children, they if you go somewhere, you meet your husband, the kids hair ain't combed and them clothes look rough. They'll tell you about it because the the bride is a reflection of the husband. She is the glory and outshining of the husband. And nobody means that like God does. Nobody means it like Jesus does. And just to prove it, he provides everything for us. It's it so it, there's no mess up and no hiccup. You don't come bummy and trashy looking. You come looking like he wants you, you know, to 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 look. And so he pursues us with a great love and a great zeal because he wants to bring us to the perfection that he created us to live in. That's that's just a given. And so after we're pursued and we're born again, then he sets about a program of perfecting us and leading us into uh, the life that he wants us to live and how he wants us to represent him down here on earth. There are some people that God wants to be millionaires. 
just so that that degree of of uh, responsibility and finances is never off limits to his people. You got me? But he's not going to just give it to somebody anybody they have to be adorned the way he wants them to be adorned there are certain garments that God gives us to wear first of all he gives us peace with him you know you've got to you got to get it settled that you trust God and and he will begin to adorn you with righteousness that's one of the first things that that he gives us and the Bible talks about it as a white robe and that he has taken our sin and he's exchanged it for his righteousness, his nature. It's the righteousness of God. It's not something you got to work at, but you've got to understand how it works. That's why the Bible says to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek how this thing operates. Let him be your main focus so he can teach you how to be who he created you to be. Male and female are the bride of Christ. Now, in a carnal world, the bride is the one who has the vision for the adornment for the wedding. Isn't that so? Well, you know, and, and very often they have a zeal for a vision that they want to. Oh, I've dreamed about my, bride, my wedding day ever since I was a little girl. I know exactly how I want to look. And, and then she turns into a bridezilla because she can't pull it together. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, it's a, there's something in there, but it ain't right. You got me? The zeal is too carnal. The, the desire is, you know, it's, it's something they're trying to capture, but it's, it's so vague to them. They try as best they can to pull it into the natural, but even with somebody who, who knows God, a bride who knows God, you can't pull that into the natural just with bits and pieces and glimpses. Jesus is the only one who can pull it together for you. See, he, he is the one who carries the vision. Where in the natural realm, the bride carries the vision for the wedding. In the spirit, the groom carries it. So it's sealed away in Christ what he wants you to be and what he called you to be on this earth. You know, you see these, these uh, uh, shows say yes to the dress. They bring out 15 dresses. Some of them in the price range, some of them out of the price range. Number one, if you you got a low budget, that's going to limit. That puts a downer on it anyway. The budget always puts a downer on it. Because the bride is always afraid the dress she likes is going to be too much money. And she won't have to. But they'll bring out all kinds of dresses, all kinds of, of choices in her price range. And they're waiting for her to say, this is the dress I want to get married in. It's so hard for them to say. They don't have a vision of it. They know that that this getting married is going to do something for them. They've met the love of their life. They've got uh, the place all set up and somebody's paying for it. And it's this and it's that and it's the other. But somehow it still can't come together right. Why? Because the wrong person's carrying a vision for it. And then they ask the groom and he knows less than the bride does. He said, well, whatever. You know what? Just show me where I pick up my tux and what time I got to be there. Just don't go off on me again today. You know what I'm saying? He wants to stay out of it and just show up and hand over the ring. Why? Because we're dealing in something that's a mystery. We know that it's, it's, there's a perfection there. 
but it's so hard for us through our darkness and our carnality to perceive it and what it is and so Jesus holds the real wedding apart from us until we come to know him and then he begins to show us that it's a process it's a lifelong process you just don't get a dress that's perfect and everything perfect you get married in one shot but it's a process of bringing forth out of the treasury of God the things that he needs to adorn us with and there are many 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 garments that we wear in God the wardrobe it cannot be exhausted not in this life and in the one after and so <clears throat> Jesus has a vision of us perfectly adorned for the marriage supper for the final marriage supper of the lamb but as we live for him in this earth he starts bringing things out of his treasury for us they fit us perfectly you don't have to lose 15 pounds to fit in a Jesus garment huh he's <laughs> he's got one <laughs> he's got one in your size <laughs> whatever size you are if that's not your natural hair color he knows you change your hair so you gotta he has a garment for you that's not gonna clash with your new hair color huh so he has a, a, a treasure chest filled with every imaginable garment and outfit that fits us perfectly. And we look good in it. You got me? You don't have to worry about uh, does this righteousness, you know, is this too much for everybody? I mean, you know, what am I going to do with this? And if God's changed me too much, how's my family going to respond to it? All this kind of stuff. These things fit us perfectly. If they don't appreciate it, it's because they don't appreciate it. They're at a loss. So he pursues us in covenant to reveal to us how he sees us and to complete our life through transformation. We're transformed through the renewing of our minds and walking out what we now believe and think and live so in God it's no more hypocrisy with going to church and, and being good for a couple of hours and fooling the saints into thinking you're a happy Christian but it's a life where you are transformed through the renewing of, of your mind and you wear the garment that Jesus has perfected for you sometimes these garments are, are the hems of them are adorned with the fruit of the spirit so as you as you enter a place and as you leave a place the fragrance of God comes and goes with you he he allows people to see himself through his bride she is the outshining of him and he's determined to carry out his will in our lives he's not going to take no for an answer he he doesn't do it forcefully he doesn't do it in a way that we can't receive it and appreciate it but he turns our hearts more and more toward him it's an inward thing where he has total confidence that he will be able to complete this transformation process in all of us no matter when we start how early in life how late in life some people drop out of serving God they get mad at people in the church and leave and come back years later you know finally God's pursued them to the point where they humble themselves enough to want to turn around and, and go back to serving God again 
And so when we accept his marriage proposal, and that's what salvation is, he becomes our friend in this covenant. The first thing that he offers us is friendship. And there are many people who are married that aren't friends with each other. They got some weird attraction, you know, to each other and can't stay away from each other. That's always the devil. You know what I'm saying? So when we are friends with him, we have peace. We've had a handshake where we're not going to go back to the life of sin anymore. We're sold on God. Whatever it is that that he he uh, we have to pursue in in living for God, we're willing to do it because we know that he is our friend. And as a friend, he pursues these things with us. You're not in this alone at all. Don't ever think that you got to do something outside of the power of God to prove to God that you love him. That's not how it goes at all. But he actually lives in us and empowers us through his grace to do these things, to carry out the will of God. And so as we carry out the will of God, then he gets the glory for it because he's the one who empowers us to do these things. And that's what he loves about his bride. He can look at us and see himself reflected in us. Hmm? It's an amazing thing. Now you'll have some some essence of that in a regular marriage. You got me? But it's not that way all the time. It'll just depend on what kind of mood you're in, what kind of mood he's in, <laughs> blah this and blah that, you know. I can remember, you know, seldom did my husband say anything about what I wore, you know, and, and so I don't know why not. I wasn't gonna hit him. <laughs> not all the time. No, 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 no. I digress. Y'all wake up. I wouldn't have to tell stale jokes. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know. If if sometimes. He would say. He said, I like that on you. You know. That was all I needed. You understand what I'm saying. And, and this is the way. Jesus is with us. We are the outshining of his glory. And he likes what he gives us on us all the time. I don't care what the world says about your witnessing. You're talking about God all the time. You're, you, you can't do this on Saturday because you've got to go to that church all the time. I don't care what that looks good to him. You understand what I'm saying? You know that God put that on you because you're serving him and it looks good on you to him all the time. This is part of the garment you wear. You wear a garment of faithfulness to, to withstand the persecution. The darts of the enemy that he would throw at you to try and discourage you from wearing what God gave you to wear. You got me? Uh, the, there's a, a salvation, the helmet of salvation. All of the, the armor of God looks good on us. You got me? When we go about making peace with people and sharing Christ with people that couldn't stand us or still can't stand us being kind to people when they've been rude to us or or they've they've tried to hinder us from going forward that looks good on us you got me that that fruit of the spirit always looks good on us and and we're to wear that without feeling like there's something wrong with us you know we you don't ever refuse to wear the garment that Jesus has given you to wear so when, he, when we, we are friends with him, we have peace with him, he even invites our natural families to the wedding feast, doesn't he? He offers us household salvation. 
but not as guests and spectators they get to be the bride too they get to the same adornments the same things that we have acquired in him he has them set aside for them too and even more so even greater things sometimes in family members when we sin he still pursues us to come back to him the conviction of the Holy Ghost tells us he's not done with you yet this is not something that's going to destroy the relationship there's reconciliation available to us and there's pardon available to us so when when we sin he becomes our advocate he actually goes to bat for us at the throne room of God he he entreats the father for forgiveness for us we think it's an automatic thing but he he has to entreat for us you need an advocate because you've broken the law you know these people this automatic stuff and it's so easy stuff I just resent that deeply I, I that puts a really bad taste in my mouth because you couldn't die to save your own soul you don't have another option you need to be grateful and not trying to do things and be casual about it and all this kind of I don't like that that's very distasteful to me but he pursues us to let us know that if we will repent and turn back he will totally pardon us totally pardon that means he doesn't watch us to see what we're going to do wrong next like we do each other he'll totally pardon and treat us as though we've never done anything wrong it's all good I, you know I, I don't even know how you got twisted up like that and got way off on the other road but I want you back see that's what the jealousy and the zeal are it brings us back after we've broken the law we know better sometimes we break the law and we get ensnared in it we get trapped into it but we know that we have an advocate with the father who will come to bat for us and he is always there for us if we will turn around and acknowledge our sin and ask true forgiveness true pardon from God sometimes we beg more for to natural people than we do to God and just take him for granted sometimes we got to stop doing that we've got to be humble before him you know sometimes you can get a different type of adornment if you're sincerely sorry for things you know instead of just giving it a blanket forgive me thing so he pursues us and brings us to our eventually to our heavenly home where we have our final adornment the marriage supper of the lamb and God presents us to the world as his bride all of us collectively together so it's not just about us even though when he deals with us in this way we feel like we're the only people important to him in the world you know he can be so he can give you that special attention feeling you got me that he's there for you he's listening to you he's got all the time in the world for you but he's that to everybody who receives him you understand what I'm saying so you don't get the impression that there's any rush in the relationship or there's any kind of uh, of uh, time limit on what you can spend with God it's his attention toward us is perfect because he wants us to absorb his love he wants us to to get accustomed to it he wants us to expect and anticipate that his love is always there for us it's it's a wonderful thing if we'll focus on 
all that he's done with us you know uh, if I can make a resolution for for this year get rid of the one minute Bibles the quick scriptures the instant God things that people send to you you know you know all these things you sign up for on the internet and you know it's quickie 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 things you don't serve a quickie God it took God centuries to get us ready for him and and we're not going to be we're not going to know him in an instant we'll be getting to know him throughout eternity and respect that he's done so much for you pursuing you always pursuing learn how to respond to the pursuit of God and 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 love him for it and thank him for it and and be blessed by it just enjoy it enjoy <clears throat> that you are his prized possession and he's given everything that he can have relationship with you amen praise God father we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to know how important we are to you your pursuer you overtake and you recover you've recovered us father in a full recovery and you've given us a new life in you we've only seen glimpses of it Lord with Esther we saw a glimpse of what it was like to be purified before she could be uh, accepted as a bride and we we see these things in in all of the people in the in the word of God Lord that that we are your bride you've given so much for us paid a ransom for us we're your prized possession. And we thank you that we know a little bit more about it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Praise God. We need to pray for um, for uh, Mother Mary, too. We pray for her now. Lord, we thank you for our friend Mary. We thank you, Lord, that she's a mother to us. And that she's accepting that, that she doesn't need...